Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. His name was Herman Estabrook, and to look at him, you wouldn't have considered him to be much of a candidate for greatness. But make no mistake, in his own unique way, Herman was a great man. And yes, one of the true saints I've had the privilege to know over the years. This was not to say that he was ever wealthy or particularly powerful and successful in life. On the contrary, he spent most of his days simply trying to make ends meet. He was a potato farmer by trade, but the truth was that he could never make a real living doing that. So like so many other farmers, he had to supplement his income with part-time jobs one of which was that of a school bus driver for the little town of New Limerick, Maine. And it was there, over the course of two generations, that Herman found his true calling. You see, Herman did more than just do pickup and delivery for the local school. He knew the names of every one of those kids who boarded his bus, and they all knew him. He talked to them, and more importantly, he listened while they were talking, which was easy, because Herman genuinely cared about what they had to say. Herman was the best kind of school bus driver. Patient and kind to the little ones scared to get on the bus for the first time. Firm but friendly to the ones who had a habit of raising a ruckus in the basque seats. And if there was one who just happened to be having a really bad day, somehow Herman always managed to have a piece of bubblegum handy to help cheer them up. He really loved those kids. And those kids, well, they loved him right back. In fact, one of Herman's prized possessions, something he proudly showed off to visitors, including me, was a well-worn photo album filled to overflowing with school pictures and snapshots that these kids had given to him over the years. And the thing was, Herman could tell you stories on every one of the children represented, many of whom had long since grown up to have families of their own. Though by the time I came to know him, age and eyesight had forced Herman to give up driving that bus, kids still seemed to always be flocking to him. At the church I was serving as a student pastor, he was known as Uncle Herman. And it became commonplace to see our Sunday school kids all huddled in a corner after church having bubble-blowing contests. Oh, from time to time I'd hear some of the parents grumbling that Herman was giving their children way too much sweet stuff and couldn't he please at least switch to sugarless gum? But nobody ever said too much. Because truthfully, most of those parents remembered when they got bubble gum from Uncle Herman when they were little. No, Herman didn't have a long resume or a rich stock portfolio. And he didn't carry a lot of influence in the greater scheme of things. But in terms of greatness, I've met very few people who were his equal. When Herman passed away... It was one of the biggest funeral services I'd ever led up until that point, and in a whole lot of ways unlike anything I've ever seen since. The funeral home that day was filled with people, and an inordinate number of children, children of all ages, each one determined to let Herman's wife Isabel know just how much her husband had meant to them. The walls of this stately funeral home chapel were quite literally covered with homemade works of art, and illustrated thank-you notes from all these kids. And something else I've never forgotten. 
There were also all these incredible flower arrangements surrounding the casket in front of the chapel, with nearly every one of those arrangements having one thing in common. Stuck here and there, in and through the flowers, were little wrapped pieces of double bubble bubble gum. It was one of the many glorious reminders I've been given over the years of just how much one life well lived can unknowingly end up touching so many others. But even more than this, it served as something of a parable for me regarding the importance and ultimately the utter simplicity of our call to Christian evangelism. Now, I use that word evangelism with some trepidation. After all, here in the so-called mainstream Protestant church, evangelism is a word that still tends to make us a little uncomfortable, as though it belongs to a more conservative or fundamental uh, Christian tradition. Moreover, historically speaking, evangelism has long taken on the heavy, austere tone of, of a somber undertaking, which, particularly in the Congregational Church, seems rooted in our New England Puritan heritage and still evokes images of relentless hellfire and brimstone preachers shaking their long, judgmental fingers from lofty pulpits. That's unfortunate, because not only is evangelism central to our calling as Christian people, a mandate, in fact, hey, it's called the Great Commission for a reason, friends, but also at the very heart of it, Evangelism is simply communication, God-centered, spiritually uplifting, personally affirming, life-giving communication. Evangelism is communicating, maybe one-on-one, but just as likely in a group setting with words spoken or actions taken. It's an incredible message of God's love in Jesus Christ that we've received so that others might come to know the Lord as we do. Now, there are those who think of evangelism as a matter of prayer and proclamation, and that's true. But my experience has also been that it happens just as often, and admittedly sometimes even more effectively, in and through the random happenstances of daily life. I'm talking here about the conversations that are shared over a cup of coffee, in the casual and welcome invitation to join with neighbors on some sort of outing or project, with casseroles and coffee cake brought forth at the times they're needed the most, all accompanied by words of comfort and a loving embrace. Or, for that matter, in a little piece of bubblegum offered to a trembling kindergartner heading out towards an unknown world for the very first time. Some would argue that such small expressions of caring are only the first steps in bringing people to Christ, and and in many ways they're right about this. One should never underestimate the lasting impact of seemingly random acts of loving kindness for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Hey, all I know is that for all our postmodern efforts to grow churches and nurture disciples, I look out into the congregations I've served over the years and I see folks who found their way to the church and consequently to Christ, not so much as a result of the programs we've offered, nor as a response to our style of worship or the particular hymns we've chosen to sing on on a given Sunday, not even out of the pastor's earnest attempts at eloquent preaching. They're sitting there in the pews because someone in that congregation invited them to be there. Because they said to these people that they ought to come out to the fellowship hall after church for some coffee and sweets. 
because they were made to feel profoundly welcome in this family of God's people at a time when perhaps they felt the most alone. And I also know this, that somewhere out there, there are parents who want their own young children to have the same experience of church and Sunday school and God and Jesus and faith that they had growing up. And as parents, they're working to make that happen. It's a desire for Christian nurture that's fueled by fond memories of a kindly uncle at their church who always seemed to have a pocket full of bubblegum, as well as a smile and the time to share with them. And that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.